A scrub is a guy that thinks he's fly and is also known as a busta. Always talking about what he wants and just sits on his broke ass. I'm the Grizz, and this is the Barely Coherent Podcast. And your host, struck down from heaven because God wasn't exactly feeling his vibe, Snowy B, Daniel Borden. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that is power infests all times, all galaxies, and all dimensions. Sunny B, Billy Weisinger. Thank you. I am eternal. So, <laughs> you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Great to be back with you guys. Uh, now that we're here, how's everybody doing? Uh, pretty good. It's a uh, rainy Sunday uh, afternoon here in North Kakalaka, but uh, you know, it's it's, it's uh, been a pretty good weekend. Good, good. So, uh, what about you guys? How have you been? I see. Uh, are you two together? Yeah, <laughs> we are. Um, sick invite. A- rare collaboration you actually probably were invited i think <laughs> you were just like i'm not gonna be there yeah so, <laughs> you know, my word. don't be weird about it <laughs> so it's been a lot of eating um, and, and drinking though honestly yeah um significantly <laughs> more than i initially planned on yeah well um, there's not a lot so, to do here it's just, new yeah. orleans is like 99 percent eating and drinking and then parades for the other one percent the uh, the only time I've had the pleasure of being in New Orleans, I'm pretty sure all we did was eat and drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we did. Yeah, that I never exactly I never go did. out. And Patsy's always asking me like, "Why don't we go out more?" I'm like, "Cause we're just gonna eat and drink." <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, we literally we literally go out and we eat and we drink, and that's it's good food. It's good drinks. We do. You know, we have a lot of people here like in the you know very like touristy, you know, vacation mode. So it's always you know it's fun, but. Right, it's not it's not very diverse. Um, it has its appeal, I think, in terms of cities. You know, um, some really cool architecture, and um, there are a lot of very interesting people here. But for the most part, yeah, unless you're visiting the World War II Museum or the Sazerac Museum, um, you know, we, it's just not a ton to do. And that's okay. And smells, <laughs> which is why you drink. Do we walk into uh, John Lafitte's? And I hope somebody goes to John Lafitte's like and hears this recently because they would they'll agree. It smells like throw up. Like it does not not in one corner, not like at the at the in the bar area. Like the whole building smells like throw up. And I wasn't <laughs> exaggerating; it was nauseating. And I was like disgusted with all the individuals who were sitting down enjoying their drinks inside. I'm like, I don't. I'll never understand you. You know, I will. Yeah. Um, in the words of Hamilton, I will never understand you. Yeah. <laughs> Literally what you said. <laughs> you just yeah. quoted yourself, but see, I don't know. <laughs> um, the grades. I mean, it's the oldest bar in America, so I guess it makes sense that it would smell like, like the oldest up. bar in America. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping with tradition. So, um, yeah. Um, I actually just drove from. We're we're in New Orleans. I don't know if we said that actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're in New Orleans. If anybody doesn't know, like, what the fuck are they? Yeah, we're in New Orleans. So I drove uh, from from 
where I live in Maryland, to Birmingham to visit some of the college boys, um, old friends. Uh, hopefully they're listening. Um, glad I got to hang out with them. And then from there, I drove down to New Orleans. So I have spent a considerable amount of time on the road recently. Uh, and then I'm going to drive out to Tampa uh, tonight to go to Lakeland. And so, you know, I'm taking a little two-week road trip vacay. Yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's good. It's good timing because yesterday we got to watch football. We went to Manning's bar. We um, did. Yeah. So not to, so to, I guess to wrap up the, how's our week going? Basically, we, you know, Will's been had, had a chance to go see some friends here, see mm-hmm. some seafood. We went out to a few bars. Um, we watched football yesterday, watched more football tonight. But Will, Will's going to take off and go to Tampa. Yeah, nice. Nice. Sounds uh sounds like a fantastic uh, time, <laughs> and uh, hopefully the Niners lose. But you know, I had time. Ooh. So. Oh, we're gonna start a fight <laughs> on the podcast. Ooh, I love that. Niners are too good, man. It's so weird. People are like, yeah. "Oh, Cowboys! Cowboys are so good, bro." You have Christian McCaffrey. You have Debo. <laughs> I mean, if I had to choose a team to lose, it would un- actually be the Cowboys because you know. Because they're unbearable. They're fans. They're so unbearable. <laughs> I've worked with I I have worked with a lot of football fans who I didn't even know what their what their team was. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, you know, I watch football, whatever. They don't talk about it. The cowboy the cowboy fans are the vegans of the fan world. <laughs> they are the, they are the crossfitters of the NFL fan world. They will fucking tell you. Yeah, we, we know if they were all three, which one they would talk about first. And that's how <laughs> they them boys. They them. They them. Yeah. <laughs> Why, as a grown, as a as an adult, like I cannot imagine saying that to someone. What you know, or we them boys. You know, like what's mm. more embarrassing? Will the hey, e- Eagles fans last night or the Cowboy fans <laughs> yelling we them boys? The Eagles, uh, the Eagles that is fans tough. last night were fucking embarrassing. What were the Eagles fans? I missed that game because I was watching. They uh, literally watching so every time they scored a touchdown, uh, which was a lot because the score was <laughs> seven to thirty-eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, a, lot, a lot of scoring. They did like the Eagles like fly Eagles chant. fly oh. yeah on fly, the road to Eagles victory. fly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, like I mean, it. I get it, right? We're in a bar. You, you know, you're right. It's not when I hear it on TV, and it's you know, it's in the stadium, and I hear them singing. I'm like, oh, it's you know, it's cheerful. Yeah, it's cool. When you're it's enjoying neat. your drink, and there's a crowd of people screaming <laughs> it every 15 minutes, you're just like, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a bit much. One of the highlights of last night was a Giants fan. She was she might have been a little drunk or whatever. She's agitated. It was. The Eagles quickly went up 14-0, right? <laughs> and then when they scored the second touchdown, so they sang their first song, which was loud and obnoxious. It was the whole thing, you know, E-A-G-L-E-S, right? It was like over the top. And then they did it again. We're E-A-G-L-E-S, you know. We're, and then as soon as they finished it, one of the people of the group kind of turned to kind of like kind of like talk shit, I guess, to the Giants fans. They point at him, figure guns or whatever. And she goes off. She was like, don't come over here with that obnoxious shit. Like, stay over there. With fucking... It's like going off in the bar. They, they're all the Eagles fans are like, whoa, like different vibes. We're just having a good time. We're kind of, we'll dial it back though. But soon as like she said that <laughs> within 30 seconds, the Giants threw an interception and it was dead silent. 
<laughs> they're like they're just like <laughs> it was good i was like oh i'm glad we're here yeah it was fun to watch yeah good time i saw that i saw that too really yeah it's it, the screen is like making it so like i have a like a, it looks like i was missing teeth i don't know it doesn't like it doesn't like my teeth no no but anyway uh to move um, right along into the first thing I wanted to talk about, uh, so there's this book coming out about uh, the advancements of AI and defense, uh, via you know by DARPA. Um, wow. And well, hold on, let's tell people what DARPA is first, um, because there are people who may not know what DARPA is, and we'll we'll give you the uh, the breakdown of the acronym so that. You can send uh, Yeah, yeah. The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, have so, you guys ever seen Terminator? And then they go back in time to kill that company that built the Terminator. That is that. <laughs> that's that, DARPA. That, that is DARPA. That's, that's the DARPA. movie version of DARPA. They do develop and test a lot of the uh, more futuristic aspects of our uh, military munitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so one thing that they've been working on and that pro- people have probably seen a lot of are those uh, robot dogs, mm-hmm. things that they have that they have cool. tested. I want one. Um, I want to name it. It won't poop. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to poop or pee in the house. It's very well house broken. Um, it also weighs like 500 pounds, so problematic in some senses. Yeah. I mean, it's not a lap dog, but, you know, as long as it knows that. How much so, does it weigh? I don't know. It's a good question. We'll get into it. We'll get into yeah. it. Get into not it. not important, uh, but so for people who may not <laughs> 100% aren't super familiar with DARPA, but I've seen videos of those little robot, military robot dogs run around and stuff like that, That and the humanoid robot thing. That's DARPA. That's the type of work that DARPA does. Uh, one of the things that they've been working on is their AI and their AI detection for humans. Um, so they decided to test this and probably chose the best branch possible <laughs> to try to defeat this, and that would be the 1234 United States Marine Corps. Uh, <laughs> and uh, what's interesting about this article isn't just that they had eight Marines and all eight Marines were Rah. able to defeat the AI detection system. It's the methods in which they were mm-hmm. able to defeat the AI uh, systems, which makes me feel a lot better about the dystopian future, uh, knowing that <laughs> when AI does take over, uh, I now have a playbook. Uh <laughs> to defeat these uh go go on step one to defeat said robots yeah step one uh is to potentially do somersaults i'm gonna stop uh, you right there none of us doing somersaults here step two well yeah <laughs> <laughs> for for those that are still uh young and nimble uh and <laughs> i actually can take it you can somersault uh my personal favorite though is uh going the old metal gear solid route and just hiding mm-hmm. under a cardboard box Mm-hmm. And walking mm-hmm. around in a cardboard box. I love it. Like to me, well, that is this, like the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. Right. Like advanced imagery, uh, you know, AI detection and uh identification, all these things led up to this moment. And the Marines said, I played Metal Gear Solid once. Let's hide under a box and see if that works. <laughs> so and it fucking I, did. I wanna actually draw your guys's um attention and imaginations to all of the things that you've ever seen video games or movies where there mm-hmm. was a automatic turret right 
every single one, right? It was always like this, like they were just like, they focused on only pure motion, right? And then it would just light it the fuck up. And it was like, that was kind of like the, 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 the stick, right? It's like, if it moves, it's fucking get lit up. That's exactly how it's going to be in the future. There's no way an AI will ever be able to look at a box that's moving and go, there's a fucking human in that. You know what I mean? (laughs) 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 It'll just see a box that might be just slightly moving over every few, you know, every couple feet, every, every few minutes. But so in the future, those have fucking machine guns that are stupid. If it moves, it dies. (laughs) I mean, if you're being honest, that's the, the quickest and easiest solution. So that's it. Why fuck with what's worked? Yeah, and then uh, another Marine, this one is also great, uh, (laughs) but another Marine uh, took branches from a fir tree and walked along while (laughs) pretending to be a tree. No, 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 no. There's a a quote in there that I read when you put it in. Somebody said exactly. He said something that was funny. He said, uh, um, (laughs) I'm going to find it exactly. He said, "The, the, the Marine... The Marine was giggling and smiling the whole time. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You know, if you know Marines at all, like, it's exactly what they would do. <laughs> they would just be like, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, which I'm pretty sure is from a Shakespeare play, Walking Around as a Tree. Is it? Is it it's not Hamlet, is it? I cannot say that I'm super familiar with with Shakespeare. I was robbed yeah. of that opportunity as a child to play as a true. Oh. I wish I could have. Yeah, uh, that could have been the start of your know. acting career. That could have been like <laughs> just the beginning of you, you just know. being great. I was robbed, dude. Fucking California's public school system. I'll never forgive it. I was in the California school system, and I I read a lot of Shakespeare. Mm. Different it's schools. Macbeth, different by school. the way. Nick's Macbeth. Beth. Yeah, Nick there's Beth. a scene near the end of the, the near the end of the play where the foreign army dresses up as trees, and I always thought it was dumb, but you know, apparently with AI, apparently not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you gotta admit though, like if you're on watch and like you're just standing out in the middle of nowhere, right, and you've been standing there for hours, and you're like, that tree looks weird, right, and then, and then you're like, okay, and you're like, uh, I think that tree might be moving, and I think that tree is giggling. It's gonna be like, it's gonna be like, dude, shut up! Like you're crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Until next thing you know, the enemy mil- the enemy army is right on top of you, uh, <laughs> and you're like, fuck! I'm being stabbed by a tree, and this makes yeah. no sense in my brain. It's actually so. just an ant. It's part of the ant army. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, no, not the ants! Not the ants. <laughs> Speak for the trees for some fucking reason. These trees are giggling. Yeah. <laughs> In Vietnamese. Yeah. Oh God, it's uh, funny. But yeah, it's it's you know what what other branch would uh would think know, to, w- would have been able to, to think this far outside the box to? I see know. what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> so so they, to be so outside the box, says, you must go back into the box. Yeah, that is some heavy, heavy thought there. I think mm-hmm. Confucius would be proud of you. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Thank you. But like it's the article says that they used eight Marines to test different um, situations, and none of the Marines were detected. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, this, so this AI robot is like over eight, you know? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that's you know the end of the article kind of you know wraps up where they're like this thing was detected. Or designed to detect humans walking, 
Uh, and that was about it. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's if it might be good for detecting detecting people uh, more in an unsuspecting, right? You don't know it's there, but uh, shit, man. <laughs> I think. Well, I think there is a part of this which is interesting because um, very likely once introduced at least initially i think that you know no one who's who's read this article or anything like it would would know necessarily to think outside the box in that way um but if you were to drop this in the woods somewhere and you're looking for enemy patrols right enemy patrols are not going to be walking around with cardboard boxes (laughs) and doing somersaults so here's here's my scenario fast fast forward 10 years in the future Okay. We're being uh, invaded by name said 43. country, whatever, whatever. And they have robot dogs, right? And for some reason, we're all together. And Will looks out the window and he sees a robot dog patrolling. And he goes, Guys, it's fine. I know how to do this. <laughs> he grabs a branch and he starts going outside. And he just gets lit the fuck up. And then he looks back. He's like, Oh, they must have had an update. <laughs> Uh, it's first day one patch yeah yeah yeah, i mean but to bring up your point right so if 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 you're a like a professional military right and you're going up against an ai and you think it has these type of uh deficiencies right like i mean the branches it's just would it be that hard to just give everybody a ghillie suit and that's what you're patrolling in now I'll have you know, the ghillie suits are a very intimate thing. You're supposed to build your own ghillie suit from the false foliage around. I can go on Amazon right now. False. Get a you can. Suit. I know yeah. you can. And every Marine's a rifleman. We fucking would you get call, it, but... <laughs> Would you call your ghillie suit a billy suit? <laughs> it's just pictures of me. <laughs> it's just that background just printed yeah. over and yeah, over and yeah. over again. Yeah. yeah. I think this is honestly my my best background yet and uh you know for our for our audio only listeners um we are getting more and more adept at uh the presentation aspect of this and right. so now also we have audio. background pictures. Also the audio presentation. I got a I got a real mic now. I'm a real boy. He does have a real mic. At uh um, at some point I'm going to have to change mine uh, cuz if we get big enough um don't think having somebody else's intellectual property as my background is gonna gonna get us very yeah far, so. probably not that's okay i love that picture though i i like the picture though it's a great picture you could reenact it if you want i will lay there and let you do that to me i don't need you to lay there i just we just need to get a picture of me dropping an elbow just, through a table. just for <laughs> clarification for anyone who can't see the picture it's a wrestling image so that everyone is clear <laughs> oh, one of my, that was i thought it was something else never mind it's one of my guilty pleasures yeah. i just saw Wrestling. you in all black and i was like what are we doing here <laughs> do that to me Papa. big poppy uh so but yeah it's you know it's uh i i thought that was pretty entertaining uh it it's we've seen all these advancements but i think it's still uh it's still fun to see some of the some of the limitations yeah. Do you mm-hmm. let me ask you guys a question? It's obviously opinion based. How long do you think it'll be before we see um, robots, not drones, like drones? We already have obviously they're currently in Ukraine and Russia drones dropping bombs, right? But actual walking 
bipedal or you know quad pedal robots in the in the field and in, in any type of scale um i think so in my personal opinion i think the first time you're gonna see stuff like that i'm not sure how long <clears throat> i'd probably go about 10 years maybe uh but as far as like walking around armed like in a combat environment i don't think that's the first place you're gonna start to see some of that stuff mm-hmm. um i think where you're gonna start to see a lot of that stuff due to like retention issues and things like that is more the manual labor aspect right like mm-hmm. do we need a bunch of crew chiefs loading a c-130 you know doing a lot of the heavy lifting and stuff like that or can you take one of these darpa robots that could probably be designed to lift far more uh to do some of that stuff uh so mm-hmm. i think we're gonna first start to see a lot of these like bipedaled humanoid robots or things like that or in the more mundane tasks that we have a lot of members of the military doing that maybe mm-hmm. might just require like a single supervisor to watch a lot of these things and make sure they're not you yeah. know um fucking stuff up uh before you start seeing them in like an actual field environment, you know, putting rounds down range or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. No, what do you think? I think <clears throat> Sorry, I'm looking up how much the DARPA robot weighs. <laughs> oh, they are, yeah. Um, but I, oh, wow. that, that might be a, uh, uh, where we start to see the, the U.S. government maybe starting to try to combat some of the uh, retention and manning issues is, you know, being, in my, in you, my opinion, good. Um, you know, is, is in aspects like that, right? Um, then it comes down to like maintenance costs and stuff. I have no, I'm, I'm assuming these things are expensive as hell to maintain. I have to, uh, oh, plus, plus you specialist. It's not like you could just, yeah. Uh, um, but, you know, when, uh, when I would argue, have, good. When we have planes that are billions of dollars over budget, I don't, I can see the US, you know, government willingly spending money on these if uh if they think it's going to help the retention issues sure i think um china is better at budgeting than the united states government is when it comes to like spending an egregious amount of money on singular items and i think as they progress we will probably start learning from them and we'll start probably investing into these really high budget singular items that can be taken down with somebody with a 30 odd six you know and you're like, oh, there's yeah, so, Farmer, Farmer Bob just took out four of those robot dogs that cost a quarter of a million each or a million each, you know. It's, uh, I mean, part of it, I, I agree. I think they're better budgeting. Part of the problem is uh, China has a total control of its industries, right? Right, yeah. Um, they're, not, they're not contracting out to Bell Boeing or uh, to Lockheed Martin and stuff like that to build this stuff. And then, you know, uh, so to give example, right, the, F, the F-35. Um, Trash. One of the issues that uh, the Navy had after it purchased it, right, was that it couldn't, the frame could not withstand cat launches and recovery. Mm-hmm. Right? It was damaging the frame, it was cracking it. Uh, so that had to be taken, redesigned, reinforced or whatever. And then the, the government paid for that. They had to pay for those fixes, Right. Um, on a smaller scale, cheaper level, uh, the new was M18 uh, pistol, right? Yeah. Six hour. Uh, there were issues where the trigger was cracking. Um, and then so they, they had to put new, you know, develop a new trigger for it and put it in there uh, to fix the problem. And that was something that the U.S. government paid for. 
Mm -hmm. um, you know, because we want to keep these companies happy, whatever back channels of funding and stuff are coming through, right? Um, so one thing that I, th I think should be restructured about our government contracts is if you are deliver product and it doesn't work, the U.S. government shouldn't then have to pay to for you to make that thing work. That cost should be on the developer. Right, right that should be and incorporated when you, when you, in when you, look when at, you purchase something. Yeah, when you look at countries like China, right, who have, because it's a communist country, right, total control over their industries um, and they're buying their jets, right, uh, and developing them, they have a, they are able to have a much tighter control over the costs. If it doesn't work, you know, they're not having to, to pay the overhead of this company to, to fix the problems, mm -hmm. right? They're able to just know, like, we're the Chinese government and you're fixing this. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, to stick up for the American government here, though, when I read into it, the reason why they do that is because if they didn't, they didn't do that we'd essentially would end up with a few like so let's say you know in this case the company that was at boeing who made that 35 mm -hmm. right. no it's lockheed martin no it was lockheed made the 35 so let's say we go to lockheed and we're like hey you're gonna pay for this right realistically they probably they probably could but like they're really over budget so let's say they we're not covering over budget we're not covering the restructure we're not covering the remaining all that's on you right lockheed martin would realistically not want to be involved in government contracts anymore if they knew that these type of things would cause them to do this. And, and maybe from a capitalist point of view, it sounds great. You're like, that sounds awesome. Let's let's uh let's continue that, right? Let's let's just continue kicking out bad companies. The theory is eventually we won't have enough companies to keep us competitive. Like we either have one right. company who does it really well and you know now that you just have one company and you have a monopoly. Um or you have no companies at all because they all seem to always be over budget. So it seems like it's the status quo is to say, hey, we'll just cover it, which I know isn't, I know it encourages probably bad behavior, but the opposite is these companies go, fuck that. I'm not making these really expensive projects for you guys. If we know we're going to be on mm -hmm. the handle for multi-billion dollars that we can't afford or we can't afford and it's a one and done. We're never doing that again. Yeah. And that's, that's a very good point. It's just, the the parallels between the two why china is able to sure. do it first why, I, I see i see your point by the way i wasn't trying to say it yeah was, yeah no why yeah. why we aren't but i mean that is a valid point like at the same time we we do have to keep these you know companies happy because the reason why our military is so advanced um is because we have this competition between these you know all these different companies making us stuff it's uh it's more the politics in interference where mm -hmm. uh, i kind of start to have an issue, which is a completely different conversation. Yeah, and not to spend too much time on this, but it's actually not even a competition. From what I understand, is they actually have a schedule that they have written out that they they do these open bids, and if you notice, you rarely see the same company get back to back bids. It's well, yeah, that was well. That's why we have the P eight instead of uh, the P seven. So Lockheed had um, the contract for. Um, a contract for M MPRA, mm -hmm. uh, and when it came time, when it came to the end of that contract, uh, the military was just going to go with Lockheed again because they had already, um, you, I mean, you had an aircraft Same that's platform. been in service for sixty years. Obviously, it works. It does what you're, what you wanted to do, and essentially, it was updating the updating of that platform, mm -hmm. and, um when Boeing showed up for the open bid, they had a, a full P8 um, functional, well, they had a flying P8 
and um, and even still, uh, the military was going to go with Lockheed's uh, bid, and Boeing threatened to sue for monopoly. Um, so that's essentially one of the reasons we ended up with the with the P eight. Yep. There you go. And I've heard other anecdotal stuff uh, oh. about that, um, like you know, uh, certain individuals who are in charge of making decisions that are. Um, shareholders in Boeing and mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So <clears throat> there are a number of different things that go into that, and it's uh, very fascinating how the the military seems to choose, you know, what they're going to go with, and even how much they're going to pay for things. So um, yeah, I I do think one of the things that the U.S. and the the rest of the world is uh, kind of learning from uh, the Ukraine war because uh, unfortunately. Uh, it's kind of turned into like a a weapon showcase for the U.S. Mm-hmm. and uh, its allies. Uh, I say unfortunately just because you know I was hoping the Ukrainian war would be over by now. But uh, and I think one of the lessons that we're learning from that is a lot of what Ukraine is experiencing success with isn't like the super expensive, um, you know, like. Patriot missile systems, although they could use stuff like that, right? Like the, the stuff no, that they've been having a lot of success with, stuff. like not just the homemade stuff, but a lot of America's cheaper music munitions that we've developed in recent years, right? Um, like I can't remember what they're called, but we basically have these uh, like bomber drones that get fired out of mortar tubes that are significantly cheaper. Uh, and those have been very effective. We have the vampire switch, missile the switch, system. It's called a switchblade. Yes, thank you. Mm, yeah. uh, the switchblade, right? We had the vampire missile system that's designed to be installed on the back of pickup trucks yep. um, that have been effective. So a lot of that other stuff is very expensive, you know, like the um, uh, javelin systems and stuff like that. Those missiles are pretty mm-hmm. expensive, but uh, a, a lot of what they've been seeing success with is a lot of our cheaper, you know, uh, smaller munitions that are highly mobile. Um Sure. Yeah. I, hear, I hear that the, the the HIMARS is giving them hell, though. Like that that thing. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm not saying our uh, more expensive stuff isn't also like. I think uh, it's amazing. Extremely well. I'm just saying. Yeah. I think a lot of the lessons that we've been learning too is, uh, you know, it's it's not just that. Um, and there was, and I'll post it in the Discord. Uh, but there was a, a TikTok too that came out, um, where they translated. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, back I think it was 2018. Um, it was a mixture of Syrian and Wagner group uh, forces attacked a U.S. outpost in Syria. Um, oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Of their conversation after the fact uh, where they talked about, you know, they were kind of surprised on the U.S.'s uh, counteroffensive to that attack, which was no infantry. We didn't use any infantry. It was a lot of artillery. Mm-hmm. and uh various air support mm-hmm. and you know we suffered no yeah uh, no no losses that. Yeah. yeah so and i think that's what's kind of you know right they're learning about current modern warfare is uh right infantry and stuff like that's still important but it's when you start to develop these like highly mobile uh easy to use cheap equipment that they can have devastating effects especially when paired with more advanced things like high mars uh, Patriot missile systems and, and stuff like right. that. I mean, this might sound like just like a child's explanation of fighting war, 
but like in my mind when i hear how effective what they have like 10 high mark maybe 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 less like wouldn't it be just absolutely devastating if they just gave them like 50 100 high mars and they just sat them all back and they're like if you cross this line like you're done for son like if anything comes across it we're just going to rain fucking fire down from miles and miles and miles away um, yeah, I think I mean, the concern would be I'm just sure giving some big, of that. Uh, big, big target for Russia to potentially hit. Well, they're mobile, yeah. right? So yeah. even if they could, they could, if they move a hundred yards away, I mean, there's there's really nothing that they're going to shoot at a high Mars that could do, you know, that would do damage from hundred yards away. Yeah, you know, it's also a question of how much we can give, right? Um, do we give well, all that we have? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would. I I, I say. Fuck oh yeah, I'm just. Hard, hard I'm saying, I think I think that's the reasoning behind it, right? Is when you look at a lot of these spending packages to countries like Ukraine, we're not giving them actual money, money. I mean, we are giving them money, but a lot of those like spending packages are based on the things that we've already built, and then we're giving yeah. to them. So, right. Um, um, and just for people who are listening to us, um, who may not know what the High Mars is, it's a it's basically a mobile um, missile platform um that has um like launch tubes on the back and so it's it looks like almost a flatbed truck and uh on the flatbed is this um these missile silos that are uh that you can turn and move and elevate or lower things like that and so um they're really effective because you're able to move them into positions uh relatively quickly and then move them out of said positions also just as quickly so it makes them um highly efficient uh at uh precision strikes essentially so it's just high uh, high mobility artillery is what it is so um Mm -hmm. and uh we can post a picture of that um in the discord and um on uh on the instagram page Mm -hmm. we'll do that so that we can let everybody know who who may not be watching uh, or who doesn't know uh, what a high Mars is. Yeah. But uh, but all that to say, well, back to the original point about, you know, AI and robots and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think those projects are still going to be around, um, but I, I think seeing the current limitations of them, uh, we kind of need to tailor our expectations on where we're going to see that stuff. And I still just want flying cars, dude. That's, yeah. that's what I'm waiting for. Fucking where's my AI? where's my jet that. where's my jet moto hover motorcycle? <laughs> yeah. I could not imagine the the a regular New New Orleans night, whatever a New Orleans ease with the fucking flying car, bro. They're so oh bad my at goodness, they're we so can't sad. trust people to drive on the roadway appropriately. Can you imagine uh, driving through buildings and and you know under bridges? That are no longer used, you know. They're just. That's the only time know. I would like if AI was a hundred percent the driver, then I'd be okay with it. But if not, absolutely not. Somebody's yeah. going to be texting and driving and put their car through the top story of a skyscraper. Yeah, for sure. For it sure. It's one time we all lose our cars overnight. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's like it's like the nap. You know, <laughs> the government is just like, yeah. all right, that's enough. That's enough. You're done. You're done, son. You're done. Yeah. Speaking of which. Um, I think in today's economy, though, um, I don't imagine I'd be able to afford a flying car, um, you know, and that's, I think, something that a lot of millennials kind of um, feel right now. Uh, not just millennials, obviously, there are generations after us and generations before us that are not doing well. But if I'm being frank, I, 
you know, my generation is the generation that I talk about the most because mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's what I belong to. Yeah. You're living it. <laughs> I'm living, I'm living <laughs> the dream as they say. <laughs> um, so, you know, with that said, um, you know, what are your thoughts on, on essentially what is, has, what feels like it's become the millennials versus the economy, right? Because how many articles do you see of, uh, let's say that, you know, the tagline of the headline is uh, millennials are killing, you know, the diamond business or millennials are killing Applebee's, you know, like. <laughs> I got some, I got some quick stats for you to throw at you. And this is, this is Please, amazing. hit me with stats. Cause I prefer opinions to stats, honestly. Uh, I really like to fight with my emotions, but um, please hit me with numbers. <laughs> that's, that's, honestly, that's honestly so observant of you. <laughs> um, the so boom, so it's not just a feeling like it feels like millennials versus the economy. It's actually mm-hmm. it's actually that's actually backed by numbers. So look at how much um, is owned in America by the different generations, and it okay. breaks and it breaks down thusly. It's um, boomers uh, owning who own of all the capital. In America, fifty percent. They make up like twenty six percent, I think, of the population. Which, so I mean, you might be like, "Well, that's not that much, right?" But, but when you take in the fact that Gen X, right, the generation after Boomers, um, own forty something percent, like forty one percent, you go, "Well, wait a minute, how much is that left over for Gen Z and Millennials?" Right. So now it looks like Millennials have like seven percent. Of it, and then the remaining goes to Gen Z, of all of all capital in the U.S. So, when the the market that is owned, say the diamond business, right? All these boomers who own diamond businesses, like mm-hmm. why are we buying our diamonds? Because you've already took all the money from all the previous diamond buying and everything like it. All these other frivolous, um, I call it frivolous. To somebody out there, probably diamonds aren't frivolous, but to me, frivolous. Like all these frivolous industries. All that mm-hmm. money is siphoned into the hands of the previous generations, right? Until that money is released back into the economy through a variety of different metrics, this um, avenues, I should say, different avenues, you're, we're not going to see, we're going to keep seeing the dying of these industries, but millennials are killing, right? Because of that. Sure. It, well, it's interesting, Diamonds, as an example. Uh, um, we... I mean, generations before and also us have been taught that diamonds are rare and that's why they're expensive. And um, there are many different places to get a diamond. But I think uh, what the De Beers, what is it? Um, it's it's De Beers. Uh, yeah, but are they like uh, whatever the De Beers company um, essentially owns like 95% of the diamond industry. And also, diamonds are not as rare as we have been led to believe. We can make um, them now and make them better and cheaper. Well, first of all, yeah, we can make them, but they are genuinely everywhere. Uh, diamonds uh, are one of the most, most often, abundant resources on our planet. Yeah, most often uh, on the African continent. But, um, I mean, literally just diamonds are literally everywhere. Like, you could you go somewhere in in, in Central Africa and literally find diamonds on the ground and so this idea that diamonds are worth ten thousand twelve thousand twenty thousand 
you know, $50,000 is insane. And now you're mad at me, uh, you know, as a generation from one generation to another, you're upset at me for not purchasing, uh, diamond engagement rings or diamond necklaces or, you know, tennis bracelets. Um, and you're saying, well, why are you so broke? And it's like, well, you, you've, you've taken all the wealth and you hold on to it, uh, which is something else that we can talk about, uh, the way that previous generations tend to hold their wealth basically until they die. Uh, but then you, you take that wealth, you hold on to it and then, and then you jack up the prices of things and say, well, this is what it's worth. And my response is, well, even if I wanted it, I can't afford it anyway. So I move on with life. And then you were, you're upset at me for quote unquote, killing the market for something. Well, and so, What's kind of frustrating about like hearing that too, especially in those articles is, you know, because for so long there's this complaint like, oh, you know, hey, we can't afford houses, right? A lot of millennials mm-hmm. can't afford houses. A lot of millennials can't afford to buy land, right? We're, we're renting, we're struggling to save for retirement, stuff like that. And a lot of the response is like, well, you spend so frivolously, you know, oh, with all your Starbucks coffees and, uh, <laughs> You, you know, like whatever else on, you know, online gaming, whatever, whatever they want to complain about that we're spending our money on. Uh, but then there's complaints that we're killing industries, right? Why do I need so to go? You can't have it both at, ways. Yeah. Why do I need to go and eat at an Applebee's, which is going to give me subpar food and, you know. Uh, also probably subpar service. Yeah. Uh, you know, and go buy a, a diamond engagement ring when, and I would argue there are more attractive and cheaper uh, gemstones out there. Right, yeah. uh, that don't have blood on them. Um, and I mean, have you have you seen like a nice emerald or uh, a good cut ruby? I mean, yeah. even even less common stones, or like, or, um, or buy you know uh, uh, a synthetic uh, diamond, a synthetic diamond, right? That yeah is arguably going to be far closer to flawless than any diamond that we would mind, mm-hmm. um, and cheaper. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, so why, when I can do that and spend far less money, why would I buy a diamond? It's not up to us to keep industries alive. It is right when you look at the argument for capitalistic society. It is up to industries themselves to innovate and to become more appealing to each generation to survive. It's not up to me to keep it around. If I don't find value in it, then it can't convince me that it has value needs to be there then it failed as an industry that's not on any consumer so just this argument of oh we're killing this we're killing that okay that's on them not me well it's not, and it's it's not my responsibility mm-hmm. uh that's why when when we talk about moving away from coal and people you know oh well the, like i understand it it's going to affect jobs but these are the same people that want to complain that people who are jobless are lazy mm-hmm. right so I don't think coal miners are lazy by any stretch of the imagination. It's a super, super tough <laughs> no, fucking job. Absolutely not. But how are you going to tell me that, uh, you know, people who are jobless are lazy, but then tell me that we need to keep this industry alive to keep jobs around? I mean, there's a lot of uh, what seems like hypocrisy in, in surrounding the conversation about um, wealth and uh, stimulation of the economy from generation to generation, um, you know, like the generations prior love chain restaurants. They love them. I mean, that's why they boomed. I mean, you're talking everything from 
McDonald's to IHOP to. You guys uh, ever been to a Shoney's? Have you ever like actually ate there? <laughs> yes, yes, I've been to Wait, Shoney's. Shoney's. Is that a real place? Have we been? Yeah, there's, there's Wait, Eric never took you to Shoney's? No. Yeah, there's one around my house. Oh. I thought I thought it was just a Rick and Morty thing. Mm-mm. No, no, um, they're like. Um, I'm trying to think of like a good comparison. Um, Shoney's will now never sponsor us. Good job. <laughs> no. Uh, what is it's not? Like, it's not my the, fault. The creators of Rick and Morty turned out to be shitty people. Uh, well, is uh, it the, unsurprising. The one, is it the one, the one guy? The, is it, are they both? I don't know. Are they all shitty? I know well, Justin like, shitty. So Justin yeah. Roiland is currently being uh, just to get out of the way because people are going to ask. But Justin Roiland is currently being investigated for sexual assault, kidnapping, and uh, just messaging a bunch of underage girls like in a yeah, yes. way. Like, uh, honestly, and, what's weirdest? Even his messages were so cringy. I'm like, what the f-? like? It, yeah. It anyway, was, under 18 is weird, but already this message is weird. But yeah. Um, and then Dan Harmon, uh, he, he this comes up issue. every couple years, but he had that show, that pilot that he had released for yeah. HBO, that mm-hmm. was supposed to be a spoof. I think it was HBO, but it's supposed to be a spoof on um that show Dexter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, however, and I don't know why he thought it was. Shit. Uh, yeah. Instead of being a serial killer, it was about a pedophile. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was like, like you know, it was like, like, a, like trying to be ten- edgy and funny, and who just came that? up? Super. I don't funny. know, but I I watched it and uh, just because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to know. Everyone was like, oh, you know, fuck, fuck, um, Dan Harmon, and uh, uh, I watched it and I was like, this is this is terrible, like. The fact that anyone sat through that and was like, this is a good idea. Those people should not be in charge of anything. The this fact ever. that he wrote it down and then didn't immediately burn whatever he had written it down on is <laughs> concerning in and of yeah. itself. You could argue it does that come up there, periodically. Was, there was some sort of commentary that he was trying to make with that. Uh, but whatever commentary it was didn't come through. It's lost. It's lost, and man. And whatever. That's giving him every benefit of the doubt possible that I can... It's, it's weird. You, uh, Super anyway. fucking weird. Yeah. So, so back to the economy though. After that aside, <laughs> I don't want to spend too much time talking about it. Um, uh, but what yeah. what what I was saying is that like you know this it's so interesting that this previous generation um, of people that grew up on kind of mom and pop, really like everything, right? Um, except for a few major things. I mean, like Sears and like. Uh, like big department stores, but um, these people that seemingly grew up on those kind of small scale things that stimulated the economy or that were involved in like retail or uh, uh, um, um, food service, um, they love they love chain restaurants. And now generations following them are like, ah, well, you know, I guess Applebee's is okay, but I could go to my local barbecue place and get really good ribs, or I can go, uh, I can go to the local ice cream shop uh, and get it, support a small business and still get really good ice cream, and I don't have to go to Baskin Robbins or I don't have to go to wherever else people go for ice cream. <laughs> I don't know, but um, you know, I get it. Like the convenience of having uh, chain restaurants and like the normalcy of it, but. Uh, like don't get mad at me because i decide i don't want to do you know i don't want to i don't want to eat the same thing from the same place everywhere i go 
that's I mean, that's capitalism for you. The things that are successful succeed, or the things that are good succeed, and the things that are not, or the things that people don't enjoy or don't want to do, they don't succeed. Facts. And you're talking to people who have benefited immensely from from capitalism, complaining about capitalism, and that's that's kind of wild to me. So it's just my it's just my two cents about it. Yeah, I mean, um, if you look at all the stuff for Kellen, like, is it stuff that's like integral? For society to function, mm-hmm. uh, I don't. I don't personally think so. Maybe maybe Shoney's might disagree, but <laughs> my, my bigger issue with so I think the not to take away anything from the idea that we're killing industries. I, I think I don't give a fuck about that. I don't care. I don't. I give zero shits about what industries are dying. What I care about is how it feels like our generation is just as as basically being asked to do everything that the previous generations did in, ge- in general, right? Whether it's go to school or get a job or start a family. And it's mm-hmm. basically fucking impossible, right? Like there's so many people I know back, I mean, I'm from California, so it's not that crazy, but it's a little bit fucking, so- it's shitty, man. Like we just accepted that my parents were able to easily buy a really nice house. I mean, not a, a, a middle, a middle of the road house and in, in California that now is essentially off limits to anybody who's not a legit millionaire, right? Like well, that is insane. That should not be normal. Yeah, well, it's like my dad. My dad was able to afford a house based off of working for Ralph's. And for those of you non-West Coasters, uh, that's a grocery chain owned by Kroger's. Um, yeah, he he was a manager at Ralph's and was able to afford a three-bedroom, you know, three-bathroom house off that salary, which is great. I don't have a problem with that, but he, it got to the point to where he was refusing promotions because he was going to make considerably less money compared to the new contracts and what people were making then. Like you today could not start out as a bag boy, um, cashier at Ralph's and work your way up to being a store manager and be able to afford a house anymore. Not in California. Not in California. You know, and so it's not in a lot of places. Yeah, but I just that's that's where both me and uh, me and Snowy grew up. So that's you know that's what we know. But yeah. it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's impossible. Um, yeah. You know, and I have you know family members that are going through that right now, where they're kind of being given the old school advice, like, well, you need to go get your master's, and they're looking at the pay difference between their bachelor's and their master's, like, fucking why? I'm not going to yeah. make that much more. I'm putting myself forty k forty k more in debt just well, to get my master's. Of- all losing two years of earning, right? Yeah. So yeah. that. And they're already in a position where they can't make money, you know? So what are what are they supposed to do? Right. You know, it just, it doesn't make economic sense. Uh, and it's, and their, and their it's the vice. It's the same advice, man. Yeah. And in their career, they the have advice. to stay in LA. They can't go live anywhere else and do the same jobs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, why do uh, I need to go to, you know, college? Uh, when I can go to a trade school that's going to cost far less and I'm going to make just as much money, if not more. Right? I don't understand how we're at the stage and like, we're not on more, we're not more mad. Like I know people are mad and we're frustrated, but like the, the medical system is atrocious, right? Like, I mean, anytime I look into it at all, 
it's just like so maddening. You're just like, I can, I really, really hope I'm never in a situation where I have to spend a considerable amount of time in the hospital. For everybody who has, like how much harder is it for them to just to recover knowing that like they're putting themselves or their family in like deep amount, deep amounts of debt, almost frivolously, just because this do you know, well, do you know how much what, does like, it cost to like, understood right advice? Do you understand do you know what the understood advice or uh common advice uh people give for uh you know, if they had to pay medical bills that they didn't have the money for. Yeah, yeah. you literally just wait until it's it's been long. Well, actually, um, you can you can wait until whatever it is goes to collections. And since whatever company that's trying to collect is not the one that originally gave you the service, you, you know, yeah, is not the one that you initially had to pay for the service. Um, you can you can basically deny payment, and obviously there's uh, rules and laws, different states, things like that. But um, they're like people basically tell people don't just don't pay it, just don't pay it, just find a way not to have to pay it, so that you ne- you never have to pay for that. And the fact that that is even considered as advice is insane, you know. Well, so okay. well to clear to clarify, just to get some more illumination on that point. What they're saying is, if you it's if you don't pay it, you're not going to be thrown in jail. But so, right. but there is some extremely bad outcomes to you not paying your medical bills, right? Like your credit mm-hmm. is essentially going to forever be fucked. You can never get a, another good credit card. You can never take out a home loan unless you declare bankruptcy and restart your credit over a seven year window, right? right? So you so you basically are forced to either declare bankruptcy. Um, and then re- begin the process of a, of a seven year rebuilding, right? Which, you know, who knows where you're at in life? Who knows what dreams you have or what sure. goals you're trying to accomplish? You know, so it, I think it sucks that like you could do everything right. And then you just need to get a kidney transplant um, just because and you're basically have to restart from scratch. You know, like that is that, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, that's like landing on, on jail in the middle of a Monopoly game and be like, oh, OK, well, <laughs> right. And, yeah. and, and but life's life. It shouldn't be treated like a game, you know, and here we are. Just being like, well, this is how it is. Accept it. Why you take your shitty pay and your expensive houses? So let's let's expand upon that, right? So like, yeah. we're not getting like wages haven't gone up with uh, cost of uh, living in a mm-hmm. lot of places, right? Sure. Uh, we can't afford houses. All right. So what's the other thing that's like the American ideal that the older generations hold on to? And that's starting a family, right? Mm-hmm. Very true. Having Very true. having a kid. Millennials. Are not having as many kids as uh, previous generations. We're not. Um, a lot of us Start, aren't starting later. on having kids at all, right? So why mm-hmm. is that? Well, uh, according uh, to this Forbes article, which references the Peterson and Kaiser Family Foundation, the average mm-hmm. cost of giving birth, and this includes the actual pregnancy, delivery, post twenty thousand dollars. Yes, is twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So we have a generation that is struggling to pay off their student loans because the cost of college has gone up considerably. We all went to college because that's what we were told to do, right? Yes. Because that's the only way to get a good job, which isn't true, but that's what we were told, right? Mm-hmm. We can't afford houses, uh, so we're paying a lot more in rent, right? Because yes. typically rent costs per month are a lot higher than owning a home, uh, but you can't save up enough to get a down payment. And now you're expecting me to start a family, Right. And on average, that's twenty thousand dollars. So, right. you know, how many kids am I supposed to have? What you know, you're you want me to hit all these things, but we no longer have the tools or the capability to hit all the things. 
when sure. I can go and even though it's not the same, I can go and I, do, I adopted my dog for three hundred dollars, and that included all the vaccinations. I mean, you're talking about a generation uh, of people that were uh, able to fill up their gas tanks on five dollars and fill their refrigerators on on five dollars. Yeah, and 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 who were able to put themselves. You know, the classic, well, I worked my way through college. Yeah, that's great. I'm really glad that at the time, uh, college cost $10,000 for four years. Uh, and you worked whatever job. You worked as, made, a, as a fucking grocer at Ralph's. Yeah. That paid you enough and, to buy a home. And you, you were able to put yourself through college. And now you have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. And now... When you are in the same position that you, or when you're in a position where you are dealing with those people that were just like you, uh, your answer is, well, I, I did it as if nothing changed. And I think that's the frustrating, the most frustrating part is that, is that previous generations act as though nothing has changed, that so everything the, is the same. So here's some more, here's some more stats for you. I'm kind okay. of, I'm, this one's a, a little from, from a memory from, Back when I did a semester in college for econ, so I did a macro econ class last last February, and okay. um, the graph basically showed um, what the GDP. So in 1961, I think um, it showed that the GDP of America was X, and the minimum wage was. And numbers not super important, but we'll just say it was like six bucks, right? Okay. It was the minimum minimum wage or five bucks, right? So they said, okay. If you, we just basically said, all right, we know exactly how much the GDP is per every American, and we know how much the the minimum wage is. Okay, take that number as the base as your base formula, and you just said all we're going to do is tie our our minimum wage number to our GDP. That's it. That's simple. We're not going to change. It's the, that's the formula. Okay. If you took that number of our GDP in this country now, and then said the minimum wage in this country, in every single country, in every single state. The minimum wage would be twenty four dollars an hour. So when they say in nineteen sixty one, like oh, I was, they, they they can't conceptualize it. Like yeah, you were making four or five bucks an hour, you know, but they don't understand. But relative to the size of the country, right, you were making the equivalent of a person working at McDonald's making starting twenty five bucks or twenty four bucks an hour. And so when the argument about like the fifteen dollar minimum wage coming up is popping in their heads, is because most of us weren't making minimum wage in 1961, right? Like anybody who was working then right now is basically dead or dying, right? If you were making minimum wage in 1961, like you're pretty fucking, you know, you're pretty fucking old now at this point, right? You're not even part of the conversation. So anybody who's even having this conversation, there's no context for them. They're just like $15 an hour. That's ridiculous. And you're like, it should have been $15 an hour 20 years ago. You you just, we just, we just didn't, we just stopped raising the minimum wage to the point now that it's insane for us to think that it should be this. I think the the conversation that well the piece the, the piece that you said about um, people being uh, you know who were making minimum wage in 1961 basically not really being part of the conversation I think is not necessarily true right so uh, I guess no they're, they're I mean no, they'd be like a hundred yeah. years old now yeah. If they were, I mean, if they were 18, 19, or 20. If you were 18 in, in 1960. Yeah, yeah we're, not, we're not talking about people okay. who are in the workforce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, so that that's, that's my point. Like back then, all those people that were making that made all that money that are now dead or passing it on to their their gen um, Xers, right? They made a a pretty good living. I mean, like uh, you know, um, Grizz said it best. He's like, dude, my dad. I mean, had a a job that somebody who was uh, not formally educated can mm-hmm. do, and he was able to give his family a, what sounds like a relatively good life. And, you know, that's awesome. Like, I'm actually, I love that for your dad, but I want that for people now too, right? And that's what's right. upsetting, that we just, it's impossible to have that to the, or they get, and they're like, oh, we'll get roommates, you know, as if like, okay, look, it wasn't like people didn't have roommates back in the 60s, or people didn't struggle back in the 60s, or, you know, they didn't have trouble making ends meet. But the number of people now that are expected to do it is so massive that we, I think, need to be more upset at, at the boomer generation and demand in some ways a, like, our slice like no you guys fucked us you didn't want our slice yeah so and here's the thing right like minimum wage there's a lot of argument about like what it should be what it is you know and people argue well you know why should somebody who's working at at mcdonald's you know make 15 dollars an hour when it's a job designed for high schoolers but if you look at the purpose of minimum wage uh which came into effect to help pull us out of uh the post-depression economy right give people more spending power to take their money and spend it and put it back into the economy. Uh, the minimum wage was designed to create a minimum standard of living to protect the health and well-being of employees, which is what was posted uh, at Cornell go. Law, right? So, like, are you going to sit there and tell me that in any state here that making, you know, $7 an hour is enough for somebody to be able to protect their health and well and well-being? No. You know, where where in this country can you afford an apartment if you are making seven dollars an hour? The answer right. is nowhere. No yeah, answer. Literally, literally nowhere. You how many North cities? Dakota. How many cities, like actual cities, can you afford an apartment off of fifteen dollars an hour? Just you. You, you can't. So mm-hmm. you you get my point? Now you have a, a wife and, and kid, right? Like I think the health and well-being of your employees is if both parents are making minimum wage, they shouldn't be struggling to, you know, feed their kid. And you shouldn't have to choose be- between feeding your child and paying a bill or yeah. feeding your child and putting gas in your car um, or yeah, feeding your you child know, and paying for your car, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, and then the, there was an argument uh, an article that I had read a couple months ago where there were some people that were saying, well, the increased wages is what's leading to inflation, which isn't true because the wage increase hasn't kept up at the same rate of right. uh, inflation. Right. And if that it, were eventually, true, eventually it will be were, true. Yeah. Right. But if that be clear, to make, to take their side is like, if they're not incorrect that hypothetically, if everything was perfect, right? Like if we were actually making what we should be making and then you raised wages, you would have inflation corresponding. But we're, but what you were about to say is we're so far behind that like if we did increase it, it wouldn't actually have an impact. But continue. Right. Yeah. And if that were the reason, if that were the reason for inflation, uh, companies wouldn't be posting record profits right now. Oh my God, they're killing it. Right. Co- these may all all major corporations right now are posting. Well, not all, but the majority of major corporations, majority of like major industries to the U.S. right now, are posting literally record billion dollar profits uh, with inflation going up. But our wages aren't going up. So, uh, well, okay. So, a question for that is, and I'm not really sure. This is just um, something I formulated in my head, right? 
Um, is that increase, uh, especially post COVID, uh, these companies that they can fi- finding out that they can operate uh, with even less people than they initially thought. So paying less people while still providing the same services at the same price or an increased price, uh, contributing to uh, an increase in profits, or is that just something that is just so, made up? I I have read a few things on that. So one during COVID, there was a over over hiring, right? There mm-hmm. was the I mean the economy was doing gangbusters because the interest rates were low and people thought that that two thousand dollars or whatever three thousand dollars I was given to you was effectively more than what it really was. I don't know. Right. But the point is that people were spending a lot of money and people were and companies were borrowing a lot of money. So they needed more employees to keep up with that type of growth. Right. But nearly all the companies that won during COVID. So top of the head, um, like uh, Peloton. Right. So there's their one Mm -hmm. like like 25 companies that basically like triple their value. They've all come back to their pre COVID value. Right. So all those employees they hired are effectively um, an overhead that is just costing them. They're not, they're not providing value. So they, they have to basically release all these people. So some of that is just releasing some of the the people that, that we're only there for almost as temp. Temps for the, the almost like a holiday season. It was just a really extended okay. holiday see, season, yeah. right? So that's part of it, right? The other part of it is that after COVID happened, there was a, a recognition by these companies that said, hey, we don't actually need to have an office space where we have all these people come into, we could actually be pr- relatively productive from working from home. Not not every job, and I know there's some places where they're trying to bring some people back to the office for more conducive, like team building exercise, so on and so forth. So it's not a universal statement, but I know that a lot of places are able to say, hey, we don't actually need you to do the most of the stuff. You could work from home, which of course saves them as their leases run up. So you're gonna have more and more office buildings that are gonna be sitting empty because you don't need that. And then of course, there's a correlate, there's a um, ancillary effect that has a negative externality to the surrounding businesses. Because a lot of places that opened up around these giant office parks were for lunch, the lunch crowd, right? That's how they made all mm-hmm. the money. You take okay. away all that, those all that goes away, right? So there is going to be an, a shifting in where the in where people work now, right? And I think we're we're in the process of that turbulence, right? We're in the rough, the rough seas of people changing jobs, right? And to give you some more anecdotal evidence, my buddy Mario, my buddy Mario um, worked as a landscaper his whole life pretty much, but he also had a side hustle of building fences and decks and gazebos, right? It was, he, okay. he did a, he did a few a year um, to, and to put it, you know, and he, you know, he, I'm not gonna say the exact number, but he did like exceptionally well during 2020, 2021, right? Making fences exclusively, right? And it was just, you know, the money he made was like flooring, you know? And okay. and I talked to him last week and he's like, yeah, I haven't had a job in like six weeks, right? So so he's now looking for alternative. He's like, I gotta start applying for jobs, right? So I'm using him again to just throw him more anecdotal evidence that right now our economy is going through a gigantic shift. And when you see like people, they're, people, they're cutting Google hires and they're seeing, you know, all those other things. I think that's, that's more just big name noise, right? I think what's more important is looking at on the, on the lower levels, looking at people in our tax bracket and seeing like what's happening there, right? Where are people going? Where are the jobs moving? Because for the longest time when growing up, I, like you said, Grizz earlier, like go to, go to college, do this, right? But like, I, I personally, I honestly do not know what industry I would go to if I was a Gen Z here today. If I was 19, 20, 20, 20, 21 years old, and you're like, what industry is the it industry? I have no fucking idea. You mean in terms of like long-term 
making myself what would I study in a career what would I yeah what would I get into what 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 business would I start right like I honestly don't know what is supposed to be the, the lucrative thing you know for Every, I feel like every generation, they had like a pretty good idea. Like, hey, you're going to go do this or you're going to work over here. Or this is like, you know, you want to go work and be a computer scientist. I don't know, something like And I feel like now I don't I don't know what that is. Like, I don't know what, what people are doing that have to make money. And I talk to my friends and I feel like they don't know either. Um, I see a lot of people uh, getting in on the, uh, what is essentially the IT, uh, in the IT world. Um, a lot of people are. Uh, finding out that uh, coding and software work is uh, a very uh, attainable and um, can be a lucrative uh, job field, um, especially compared to years past. Um, um, and so I think that a lot a lot of young people have found a niche in, um, in you know, software design, uh, UI design, um, things that are definitely more uh, computer based, I guess, uh, because of the jobs that happen at home. It's What's it's that? not just the the design aspect, right? So like with working from home and just with how businesses are operating these days, um, where there's a lot of I'm not gonna say you're not gonna get rich doing it, but where there's a lot of like right now secure and like decent paying work is mm-hmm. is like uh, Sunny was saying in IT work, but a lot to do with servers like server maintenance server setup server yeah. uh, design and stuff like that um i'm not sure this is still true but uh like the one profitable portion of amazon's business is their servers it is almost today impossible to use the internet without in some way shape or form dealing with amazon because they control so many servers a lot of companies use their servers and it's the same with microsoft um yeah when I go to transition out of the military, my plan is actually Microsoft offers a skill bridge. Well, they'll train me to do that stuff. Um, you know, so that's right now. Uh, it's where a lot of people are moving to is when it comes to like cybersecurity and maintaining those portions of the infrastructure that allow a lot of these businesses to be able to remote work or work across the world uh, mm-hmm. without having actual physical uh, offices there. You know, right. and we look at a lot of our energy sector right now. Um, it was a year ago when uh, the North, uh, the company that was is responsible for bringing gas to Eastern North Carolina was hacked, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of that, a lot of basic infrastructure like your power, right, gas, and, and stuff like that is relying more and more on these online systems to monitor their day-to-day operation. Uh, mm-hmm. So the more and more we're going to have people working from home, the more and more we're going to need that type of stuff too. Yeah, uh, that, makes sense. that makes sense. Eventually, it'll be like Cyberpunk, where we have the old net that's walled off, and we'll have to rebuild from fucking scratch or something. <laughs> um, with that said, I think that um, the the initial point was that uh, in terms of being millennials, it feels like a lot of times we are uh, fighting the economy. Well, we're fighting previous generations uh, and the economy uh, just for our own little slice of of you know the american dream as it were yeah uh and and it's frustrating and i wish there was an easy answer to give people you know do this or do it this way or you know this is what you need to do uh the hit these wickets right Mm -hmm. to be successful and there's just not a good 
answer, at least that I know of. And um, real quick, I just want to hit on something that uh, the three of us had talked about in the past. And um, like I said, just quickly, um, something that previous generations seem to be really, really good at is holding on to the wealth that they have amassed uh, essentially until they die. And um, I know some of us have anecdotal stories about it, but it seems to be something that happens a lot. And so do you have, do you guys have ideas? Well, I mean, I know you have ideas about how to uh, combat that or, or ways that are just really changing the way of the way that we pass down wealth to people uh, that may help, you know, generations moving forward. I do. I do. Uh, I, so I, um, I'm a big believer in the UBI, right? Which is the universal basic income um, theory, right? And I know that there's going to be outliers to this theory where people, people like people are lazy, but universal basic income is essentially a um, promise to pay every person that is a citizen over this over a certain age uh, a a monthly stipend, right? Um, mm-hmm. How much how much that is is debatable, but the re- the thing I like about it, right, is the reason why I like the universal basic income is. Um, we're the, the alternative to it is to raise the minimum wage, right? Because that's the alternative. The alternative is to say, Hey, we're mm. going to do a federal law that says, uh, everybody gets what should be a living wage. You should be able to pay your rent or pay your you know mortgage, ideally pay for your medical, pay for your car, pay for your gas, right? You should be able to pay for food, have a child and send that kid to school, right? You're not asking to for vacations or designer clothes, you're just asking for the bare minimum, right? A living wage, which right. maybe in a lot of places probably comes about 20 bucks plus an hour, right? Like just bare minimum. And Cal- places like California, it's a lot more. And that's where it gets sloppy is that if you go to somewhere right. like Montana, North Dakota, wherever, uh, Wyoming, you go, hey, uh, 20 bucks an hour. You might be like, well, okay, we're shutting our business down because the, you know, we're- <laughs> Yeah, because we don't have the, the capital no, or the- right. uh... Right, the, the ability to make that happen. Sure, and then you go to places that could be extreme. You go to San Francisco, right? And they go, yeah, that's not even coming close to living wage, right? So there's really no way to to equitably say, every you know, this is your minimum wage across the country. Every state has to come up with this like constantly evolving process, which you know is the beauty of the states in some way. In my in my right. opinion, I think how we should do it is the federal government should essentially place um, these heavy taxes on the biggest corporations specifically. And they're going to fight it tooth and nail, and it's going to kind of revamp the way we collect taxes. But look at companies mm-hmm. like like Walmart, right? Walmart is chronically underpaying their people. In some places, it yeah. makes sense because the cost they're in the middle of fucking nowhere, right? You're in the middle of Mississippi, and maybe that's not actually not a bad pay. But you go to other places, and you're going like, this is this is slave labor. You know, this is ridiculous. It should not be a thing. And they're one of the biggest employers in this country. So I think we should go after Walmart and say no. You want to keep paying people? We can't specifically make you pay them more. Well, we're going to specifically tax your industry at a rate, and it's going to go into the universal basic income system. Amazon, same thing, right? Anybody who does business overseas to avoid paying taxes, go after them, and that's going to go straight to the UBI, right? So all these there's all these loopholes that we could specifically go after to fund the universal basic income. And what that does is it gives every person in America a certain standard of living that allows them to, I guess, fuck up, to pay for things that they might not have been able to pay for. And I think that unto itself will have this giant ripple effect. 
And without getting too deep in the weeds on it, because there's really a book called, uh, it's a really good book called Give People Money that really gets into um, the universal ba basic income. But effectively, the theory is this. Sorry, what is it? What it's is called it? Give People Money. Give People Money? We'll, yeah. uh, we'll put that in the Discord. So Cool, cool, cool. So the basic theory of it is this, is on the lower scale, you're going to have people who are just going to be inherently lazy and they're probably not contributing much to society anyways. And it'll, this will exacerbate that, right? So there's going to be a percentage of people that will just be like, sweet, I'm not doing shit, right? Um, and then the scale above that, where it's like people who are actually struggling, and this is really, really, really going to help them because they were struggling to pay, to pay for food for themselves or their, or their family, right? So that'll help them out the most. But what you're going to see, though, on the biggest effect to everybody, the, the, the whole is that lower middle and the middle income group who now is not just covering the bills. They're not just paying for rent and paying for clothes and paying for things. They actually now have basically this, this stipend that's going into savings or they're using it hopefully for discretionary spending on things they would not have had. So whether it's taking vacations, whether it's going you know on road trips, whether it's going to you know like amusement parks or taking the family to the movies or going out to dinner more often, going out for date night, things they weren't doing prior to this because they were so worried about their expenses, they had effectively cut out all that discretionary spending altogether, mm -hmm. right? And it now gives this like almost like free money feel, which everyone they hate that idea of it, but the reality is is that's what stimulates the economy. A, a, sure. a person with one million dollars does nothing to stimulate the economy any more than somebody with $10,000 because they're eating the same amount, right? They're going, they're, they're all driving one car, they own one phone, right? But if you could take that money and, and spread it out amongst a bunch of people, they're all going out to restaurants, they're all going Christmas shopping, they're all going on vacations. So that money is not to be, would stimulate the economy in a way that we've never seen. And there's never been anything like it really compared to. Well, and when we when we look at it, right, like from examples from the past, and I, I tried finding an article, uh, but I can't right now. Uh, but if you if you take somebody right that lives in an apartment, right, let's say it, you've got a couple, okay, they they live in a one bedroom apartment, right, and you basically give them an extra thousand dollars a month, mm -hmm. right, that demographic is far more likely to then go out into their community and spend that money, mm -hmm. right? Whether it be on, on food, on things that they need, um, but they're more likely to go and spend that money in their local economy than if you were to give somebody like Elon Musk a tax break that earned net him another $2 million. Nothing. It does nothing right? for us. Right? Yeah. Because when you look at what people like Elon Musk do, uh, which is what a lot of the older generations do, is they just hold on to that money or he's selling his stock options to be able to buy Twitter at $44 billion, right? <laughs> um, right. When you look at what's actually going to stimulate the economy, it's giving middle class and lower, you know, more money to actually spend. And when you look at those demographics, it's are the people that are more likely when they get that money, you know, when they get those tax returns, for example, right now at the end of the year, you know, they're the ones that are, that are taking that money from their tax returns and going out and spending it on, on things that they actually need and have been saving up for, right? Right. Whereas the wealthy who already have the money are already known for kind of just hoarding that money. You know, it, there's going to be uh, fiscal conservatives that are going to argue with me on this, but trickle down economics, I think, has been shown to not work. Not work. Yeah. It, it does not work at all. <laughs> two, th uh, two thumbs down. Yeah. I wish that four hands. 
to them titties four thumbs down. Thumbs thank down. you, Ronald. Yeah, thank you, Ronald Reagan. Uh, uh, but jeez, dude. Uh, it 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 has not worked. It does not work, right? Uh, you know, they they've shown it in states like Kansas where they give huge tax breaks to these farmers to hire more people, and then they didn't hire more people because they didn't need more people, and they just held on to the money. Yeah, yeah, they just keep uh, the money. Yeah, and, and that's like, you give me more see, money. Yeah, I'm gonna go buy a new excavator. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. These corporations aren't. You know, we give these corporations huge tap breaks. It hasn't resulted in higher wages for for workers. It hasn't no. resulted in in more expenditure into things that are actually going to help the economy, help the people. It's resulted. You know, we we've seen it time and time again. Like we were talking about the other day with Southwest Airlines, where mm. they got these huge government bailouts, and it resulted in you know five million dollar raises for the CEO. Right. right. It didn't result in them updating their computer system, updating their infrastructure so that they can operate better. Which for the record, how long has it been since they updated their their computer so system? They haven't updated since like 2010 or something like that. Yeah. So, so don't fly. It, and that, yeah. you said that was Southwest, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they were the, iPhone, the iPhone three was out for context. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh for all so, you iPhone users out there. Time and time again, we have seen we're giving these huge tax breaks to the extremely wealthy and these super rich corporations that it, it doesn't result in improvements for the middle class or for the working class. Right. Right. And for people, and this is, I think, one that I get stuck on, when we talk about like taxing the rich, we're talking about like the top 1%. We're talking about like realistically like 10 people. We're not we're talking not... about your aunt that has a couple million dollars who uh, owns a really nice house in Boca or uh you know your dad who started a company yeah. and um sold that company and now has you know uh you know 10 million dollars in the bank or th things or, like that you know we're not talking about the hundred thousand dollars you made on investments yeah. <laughs> last year you know it's no, not... we're, we're talking about the people that literally have billions of dollars in holdings yeah yeah you know people who have so much money that you know in in 10 lifetimes they couldn't we're... spend all of it you know, we're we're talking about Jeff Bezos, right? Yeah. I mean, Jeff, Be I'm Jeff Bezos could about... Go ahead. Jeff Bezos could probably do to lose a couple mil. <laughs> like, I, I also yeah. would say like there's so much there's so much wealth in um, real estate, and I and I I want to get rich off real estate, right? And kudos to everyone who has, but also it's not good for the for the country if somebody can just go in and say. Well, I bought the most of it. So this thing that you need to live, I'm going to just hold on to it. And now you got to pay me more money to the point where you're just like, okay, that's fine. How about we do this? I can't stop you from buying houses because we need people to buy houses and not everybody wants to be a fucking landlord. Some people actually want to rent. That's fine. Right? There's a lot of people want to rent. <laughs> yeah. Just take those people who are who own more than X amount of property in whether you want to do it by house or by value and just put them in a different tax bracket. They say, okay, if you want to charge that much to the point where it's like, okay, this really isn't profitable anymore for me to go and own a thousand houses where I'm now, mm -hmm. I'm now manipulating the market. So if we did things to effectively say, no, I don't care if you want to own three houses, we don't, we're not coming after you. We're not coming after you who owns one extra house or two extra houses. I'm talking about places like BlackRock who own hundreds of thousands of houses, right? Yeah. Multiple, or even, even foreign companies. Like you could have be a Chinese company and you could just set up a, there's a word for it. I'm blanking on right now, but basically it allows you to do business here. And then they could spend billions of dollars on American homes that you're paying rent to now a Chinese company or Indian company or whoever. 
And that to me should be a tax at a higher rate. Like if, hey, look, look I'm not going to stop capitalism. Capitalism is capitalism. The wheels keep turning. But we could come in there and be like, tax goes right back to the people, right? If you want to go ahead and just raise the rates on us, tax the fuck out of them. We could we yeah. can control that. And I, I think that's a really good parallel because like for the people that are having a hard time understanding why we get so upset about the 1% is imagine if 1% of the people in this country own 90% of the land. Yeah. Right. And refused to give it up, refused to to allow people to rent it, right? Because that's basically what they're doing with their money. They don't want to pay taxes, right? So imagine if 1% of the of the people in this country are 90% of the land and you could not even rent it from them, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody was forced to live in the remaining 10% that existed, right? What we're basically talking about is we would tell those people, no, you because you own 90% of the land, you now have to rent out X amount of it, right? so that other people can can survive right and have the things that they need we're not talking about like you were saying like your aunt who owns one two three houses now has to give up all her fucking houses that's not what people are saying right. so, and that's uh, common misconception um, right that's always happening like what do you mean don't take my marbles you know no you have a small right. bag of marbles we want that guy who owns the marble factory you know yeah yeah uh, um so i think that um we have been we beat this up pretty well um with that said something that um i guess most millennials spend their money on uh is uh tattoos i don't know anybody who spent money on tattoos personally (laughs) oh yeah i think they're pretty frivolous uh a pretty frivolous (laughs) uh frivolous spending yeah definitely Several it's thousand interesting dollars worth of uh, not hireable. You say that, but um, uh, according to uh, Statistia, Statista, Statista, uh, which that is sounds a like a venereal disease. It does, um, but they compile statistics on things. You get it from uh, being a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> the survey done between August twenty seventh and August thirtieth of twenty twenty one. Uh, 41% of millennials have uh, one or more tattoos. That's compared to uh, Gen Xers who have uh, the previous generation who have 32%. There are 32% of Gen Xers um, have one or more tattoos. And then, uh, drumroll please, baby boomers, uh, which sit at a whopping 13%, which um, is, if I'm being honest, uh, a bit surprising. Really um, numbers. I thought, it, I thought it'd be lower. You know, you um, know, pump those numbers up. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I I <laughs> thought it would be, I thought it would be like way lower. I mean, for yeah. how quickly they're like, oh, you know, you should cover those tattoos or never get a face tattoo or, you know, uh, you know, all the stipulations that they apply to us mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, I think it's pretty fascinating, but um, something that. I, I kind of wanted to talk about um, for our little easier than you think segment is like getting into tattoos, right? Um, there are lots of people that I have talked to personally who have said, oh, you know, I'd love to get a tattoo of this or a tattoo of that. Or, um, you know, they have the desire to get a tattoo, but they just don't know how to go about it. And it can be kind of a daunting process if you don't have someone there to help you out. It. It can be. It, it is intimidating. As somebody who has several 
that's putting it lightly, somebody who has a considerable <laughs> amount of tattoos, uh, it can still even for me when I'm in a new area be somewhat intimidating to walk mm-hmm. into like a new tattoo shop uh, and ask for a tattoo. Because if we're being honest, not all, I would say this is a minority, but there's at least one or two in every shop. Some tattoo artists can kind of be dicks. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, definitely. It, I think it's just being that it's a service industry sometimes, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it can be intimidating, but it's at the same time pretty easy and some would say simpler than you think to like find a good artist and to get a good tattoo. Right. Uh, it is going to take some work on your part, but um, sure. it's, it is a process, right? Uh, I mean, and I, that's like I anything think, that you want to do. It's, yeah. It takes some time. Uh, there are some barriers that or some traps that people kind of fall into when it comes to getting uh, good tattoos. Right. And uh, I am one of those people that I do have a lot of really good tattoos and I definitely have a lot of uh, kind of shit tattoos. And uh, I have some examples that I, I can give uh, to help people. But um, the, the first step is obviously finding a shop that you want to go to. Right. Um, and in the day and age of social media, any, the vast, vast majority of tattoo artists, especially good tattoo artists, have Instagram pages. Instagram is like perfect uh, okay. to promote yourself as a tattoo artist. And my first yeah. recommendation to people is if you kind of know what you want and you know what style you want is to find all the shops in the areas that you're willing to travel to, and get on their Instagrams, look at their artists and look for artists that are good and understand like most commission of things in life the price will affect the quality of work. Not saying you have to spend an absurd amount of money on tattoos. There are definitely people that price gouge, especially in large cities and mm-hmm. near military bases. But you know, if, if somebody's charging like significantly less than what the average is being charged in your area, they probably aren't putting out good work. Sure. But, and but that's the first step is is finding, you know, look take the legwork if you don't want to go to each individual shops and look at their books get on instagram and find the good artists that's how i found a lot of good artists is is on instagram and as a heavily tattooed person uh and i think that this is the majority if you really want a tattoo and you see somebody that is heavily tattooed and you really like their work just ask them where they got it i think most people are more than happy to to sit there and just don't be a weirdo no, just don't be you know, fucking weird about it. Don't touch them. I've heard, yeah, I've heard some, uh, <laughs> some, some strange stories about uh, people admiring other people's tattoos. You know, like walking up and saying, oh my gosh, like, uh, you know, that looks so cool. And then immediately like rubbing someone's tattoo as if it's like ink that'll come off or, um, you know, just generally like be a normal human being when approaching someone. Hey, excuse me. Um, I really like your tattoo. Uh, do you mind telling me where you got it? Yeah, Super that's easy. how. That's how I found the shop that I frequently regularly hear because I tell somebody that it's nice. really good American traditional work. That I was like, just listen, hey man, where'd you get that done at? And they told me. They told me who they went to, and so I looked that person up. <laughs> that makes it's, sense. Makes yeah. sense. Um, I think. Uh, I think the next step of, you know, acquiring a tattoo or a good tattoo. Um, is is knowing knowing your budget and uh, making sure you discuss that with whatever artist you decide to go with. Um, take your time picking an artist, but make sure that you understand what they charge. 
Um, some artists charge by the hour. Some artists charge by size. Um, so it's important to know what you're getting into. Um, and it's a simple question that you can ask. Hey, how do you charge? Um, you know, how much per hour? Or uh, do you do by size? And so they are usually fairly open because they want your money. And so they'll be upfront with you about it. Yeah. And I think one one of the other points too is like if you don't like if you're not feeling that artist like you two aren't getting along you know or you're not comfortable with them or you just i mean we're talking about concepts here a lot of the time right like it's art uh and if you aren't just getting what you want from out of them from your tattoo like you don't have to be rude about it but you don't have to get tattooed by them yeah so definitely and this is not about hurting someone else's feelings this is art that's going to be on your body for a long time and just as much as you want good art, you want to have a good experience as well. So, yeah. Uh, one of the other things, and this seems to be, a, maybe it's not as popular, maybe it's just my algorithm that I'm seeing, but there seems to kind of be this like somewhat of a thing on TikTok where people are kind of like want to argue with artists about like what's possible or like what their role is. But like at the end of the day, you're talking to somebody like, as somebody who gets a lot of tattoos, I'm not an expert on tattooing. Right. I'm just a dude that's gotten tattooed a lot. Like, so if your artist tells you that they don't think something's going to work or they don't think it's going to come out good for whatever reason, or, you know, they just don't think it's a good idea, it's probably worth your while to listen to them and the reasons why. And I'll give an example because I got a perfect example. Right. I got uh, two lightsabers tattooed on the inside of my fingers, my middle fingers. Uh, and they, I've only had them for six months and they have faded considerably. Um, and when I went to get the tattoo design and I talked to the guy that ended up doing the tattoo, who is a great tattoo artist, that's why I went to him, he did tell me that tattoos on the inside of your fingers almost every single time, especially when color, will fade really, really bad. Um, did I believe him? Yeah, I believed him. And I got the tattoo anyway. But like He gave me that warning. He tried to talk me out of it for that reason, which I get it. Why is he going to want to spend time doing this money or, or spend this time doing this tattoo that's just going to fade out, right? Uh, sure. so, you know, it's, and you've, I've, I've seen people a couple of times try to argue with it, you know, like, no, I, you know, I've thought about it or, I've, or, you know, I know this about tattooing, so it's going to be fine. But like, I can't really argue with somebody who's done literally thousands of hours of tattoos and that's their profession. Do you have a before and after photo now you could do like, show what you, what it looked like when you, right after you got it or right after it healed? Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I have it on my Instagram, right? Um, that shows uh, what it looked like when I first got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looked really well. Um, I'm about to do the boomer thing and try to put my phone up too. It's fine. We can just the, post uh, it. We can post it in the Discord. Yeah. So you don't have to. Uh, I'll post it in the Discord. But so like, you pretend to be your father, you know? Yeah. Um, but the before and after is considerable, right? Mm-hmm. But the dude warned me. Like, I'm not upset with him. It's not like he did right. my work. And, he straight up told me it wasn't going to stick. But that, that's my point, right? That's, I accepted that. I knew it was going to happen. I wanted the tattoo anyway because it was, I paid like a 150 bucks for 110 bucks or something like that for it. But um, it's, you know, listen to your artist. If your artist tells you they don't think something's going to work or they don't think it's going to look good, you know, uh, and you disagree with them, then find an artist that agrees with you, I guess. But like they're at the same time, they're the artist. So there seems to be this kind of growing movement where it's like, I'm the person paying you. So you're going to give me what I want. Uh, and right. sure, but don't complain about it when it looks dumb. Mm-hmm. So Danny, 
with as someone who does not currently have tattoos, mm-hmm. uh, what is it that you find? Um, so, so first of all, are you interested in getting tattoos? And then if you are interested in getting tattoos, what do you find is the biggest hurdle um, with getting inked, basically? I mean, everybody looks at it differently. So I'm just, my opinion, right, is that um, mm-hmm. I don't like how smaller tattoos look. Um, I think um, they can look good, obviously. It's just that, like, I like bigger pieces that I don't have to focus on, right? Like, because I am typically, unless, like, we're talking about your tattoo or you're specifically showing me your tattoo or, like, I'm being intimate with somebody, I'm not going to be, like, staring at your tattoo trying to discern what it is, the quality of it, like what it all means. Like for me, it's kind of like mm-hmm. a blur. It's kind of a blur, you know, especially if they're moving and I'm not trying to be weird and stare. Now I know it's not for me, right? I'm saying this, but in the perception of other people, I think to myself, well, how do I want them to look, people look at my tattoos? They're just going to be an amalgamation of things, you know what I mean? Of clearly color happening or black and white. Um, or do I want something that is very clearly like a, por- a portrait, if you will. So I decided to go, I said, okay, I'm going to go with something big and, and very clear. And um, I want it to be done by somebody who um, you know, specializes in that. So okay. I I did, you know, so the cost analysis of it was been to the point now where I'm like, okay, well, that's a lot of money. And it takes a lot of time because you got to sit in the chair for a long time for full, for full color, large pieces. Um, and honestly, it just came down to like, where's back to the whole millennial thing like how do i want to spend my money do i want to spend it on like yeah i could drop 500 bucks and get a nice pretty nice tattoo i'm sure but it doesn't fit to the aesthetic that i think looks good um so i'd have to spend more time than i'd like to so every single time it comes up like i feel like i'm almost like like i could use this for something else you know there's always like a better use for that couple thousand dollars you know that i that i had saved away um and so i just kind of always assume like one day i would just have extra some discretionary Mm -hmm. money that I wouldn't, you know, mind dropping on it. And right. I, honestly, when I did have the money, I just, I went and bought something that was really cool. And I was like, oh, I'll do that later. And I just never prioritized it. So for me, I think like, like all things in life, just making it a priority and then putting my focus towards it. And I just, sure. I, and I realize I have to, if I really want to get one. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, it's an interesting experience, right? Because uh, like so many things, uh, it is, it, co- it costs money. And I have, uh, I have pieces that range from, uh, you know, 80 bucks to, um, like 350, $400. Um, I love almost all my tattoos. Uh, but I definitely do have some, uh, buyer's remorse, especially on one specific tattoo. And that's okay, because um, at the end of the day, it is a bit of a gamble. Sure, there's security in the fact that, you know, you pick your artist, you pick an artist that is uh, capable and um, that you assume is, is, is going to provide the product that you are looking for. But at the end of the day, um, you may not get exactly what you want, and it's permanent, so it's a bit it's a bit of a gamble um so i i definitely understand the uh the desire to do it and then really like understanding that it's it costs a lot of money and time to do this thing 
and you may just not prioritize nothing. And I think that's totally okay. Um, so with all that said, I do think it's easy to get into tattoos. It's very easy. I feel, I feel like once I got the first tattoo, like after that, um, more tattoos, more tattoos. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I understand that it's a big decision for a lot of people, um, for everyone, but working through it. It's not necessarily the biggest, the biggest hurdle for most people is themselves, right? For whatever reason, how much do I want to spend? How much time do I want to spend? Um, is this the right tattoo for me? You know, and if you're thinking about it, I would urge you to just do it and get something small um, and see how you feel about it. Something that's just for you, not for anyone else. Something in a small, small spot, um, not a lot of detail, something, something really easy. And then go from there. And so that would be my advice in terms of getting into that. Sweet. Yeah. I always, I always recommend people start somewhere small and not visible. So if you decide tattooing is not your thing, you know, you don't have this big blaring piece uh, staring at <laughs> staring at people. Um, I think the most I've spent on a tattoo is like $900. So, uh, yeah. Um, so um, outside of that, like just talking about tattooing in general uh i'm kind of curious just because we're all like different levels right heavily tattooed got you know a couple tattoos and they're not tattooed at all um what your guys's opinion on like visible like highly visible tattoos like hands face neck Um, that type of thing i think that for me it would have to be for me personally it would have to be the right tattoo you know like um on when we talk about hands or neck or face or um anything that's visible basically no matter really what you're wearing uh you know for the most part we don't we're not wearing gloves around all day and we don't wear masks well (laughs) we uh we used to not have to wear masks all the time um but i think that if you're happy with it, I'm happy with it. It may not be the tattoo for me, but if you want to get, you know, a penis on on your face, <laughs> more power to you. I don't think that you can be surprised if someone's like, I'm not going to hire you for a, you know, public service job uh, because you have, you know, a sex organ tattooed on your face. Um but in general, what if it was like someone's name over their eyebrow? I mean, I don't. Unless it's I your kid, don't get their fucking name. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Generally, generally speaking, good advice is don't get people's names tattooed on you. Uh, but it, I, to me, that's not a deal breaker or something that is just like, you know, just because you have a tattoo of someone's name over your eyebrow doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're terrible at your job. And really, that's what I care about more, I guess. So I do, I do believe in, um, I think thin slicing is a valuable tool and it should be, you know, not, you shouldn't be utilized as your primary source and go to, but I do think you can't remove the fact that people will make, make preconceived, um, will have, will have preconceived opinions about a person. And of course, if someone's like, Hey, I don't care about those opinions. 
well, then you go like, okay, well, what type of person doesn't care about the opinions of others to the point that they're willing to put, you know, a star, you know, on their forehead or, you know, like their, their child's name across their cheek. Because, you know, at some level you go like that level of no fucks, you're like, does not, how does that not transcend into other parts of your life? Right. Where you're now, you know, like, are you a prior convict? You know, are you somebody who doesn't, you know, who's not as uneducated? So you're, um, I, I mean that like formal, like formal education, like there's, there's concept, people's perceptions that exist for right or wrong. They exist. Right. And we know they exist. So mm-hmm. for you to openly say, I'm going to go against that and then proceed to live out of my life as if I didn't just make a really drastic decision makes me think that like there's something else going on. Yeah. And so that's fair <gasps> for you to say that. My, my take on this is right. I don't personally care. Uh, I don't personally personally care if like people have like physical tattoos because obviously I do. Right, I got my hands mm-hmm. tattooed and stuff like that. Um, I don't like when really young people get visible tattoos. Not that I don't think that like I'm not one of those people. that's like there's rules to you know getting tattoos and you have to earn your right to get visible tattoos. Mm-hmm. I think that's dumb. They're fucking tattoos. Like get over it. This isn't. This isn't the 70s Sailor Jerry era, you know, fucking tattoo. You don't have to earn your right for shit in that regard. But uh, I waited till I was in my 30s before I got visible tattoos, right? I waited till I was older and I understood what my job prospects were, right? Arguably where I'm at right now, um, I'm in a job that would continue to pay me with my tattoos, right? And I'd make an okay living. Uh, I know the type of job and money that I can make if I were to get out right now with the tattoos that I have. That's something that I understand. That's something I waited to understand before I got them. So that'd be my recommendation to people. Uh, And also, and this seems to be a bit of contention uh, with the generation below us, um, I do highly recommend uh, getting other tattoos first before you just get your hands and necks blasted. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't care. Like I said, I don't think you have to earn your right to get your neck or your hands tattooed with other tattoos or anything like that. I think that argument's dumb. Um, I just think that when a lot of, at the age, a lot of people are doing that, they're not like in a position to really understand what like the potential consequences might be. And I think that's something you should understand before you do something like that. But also I think that this is important. If you're one of those people that have your hands and neck tattooed, and those are your only tattoos when it is not winter, you look dumb as fuck. I think you look fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's a. Uh, it's an interesting choice. Um, <laughs> you just you look like you I look like a poser. That's what you, you look like. You look like you look like those dudes that never hit leg day at the gym and only like mm. only bench and do curls like yeah. that. Like you are the tattoo equivalent of those people. Just, yeah. Like just get other tattoos first. It's fine. Like you know. Yeah. Like and it's one of those things where it's like I don't think. I think you're just doing it because you just want to be seen as that person that has tattoos. Yeah. Like you guys right. ever seen a road with like road paint, but no asphalt. No. <laughs> <laughs> you're not really a road dude. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's Steps. a soundbite to get them. Yeah. TikTok clicks is uh, I just, there you go. I think it, that if you get your Step hands that. and your neck done before you get other tattoos, when it's summertime and you're walking around in t-shirt, tank top, whatever, Nobody's looking at you like, oh, that's a hard motherfucker that got hand and face type. They look at you like you're fucking stupid because you look dumb. Yeah. I hope your teenage girlfriend likes you. <laughs> yeah. That is the thing, right? When you see these dudes in their 20s and those are the only tattoos they have, I feel like every single time it comes out that they're like talking to 16 year olds. 
That's what it feels yeah. like. Yeah. Unsurprising. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, you're just you're you're trying to appeal to a certain demographic and it's yeah. Yeah, so so they, basically, they walk to yeah, the park it's, and like, what's it's, like, what's it's up, this, girl? It's this day's <laughs> it's this day's version of pop punk singers. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So you mean MGK? Is that yeah. Where... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's a yeah. he's a great Thanks. fucking example. Yeah. Um. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys want to wrap the Bills? The Bills Bucks are playing. Uh, Bills Bills Bengals playing right now. They've been on for forty minutes. That's why. Forty oh. minutes. I thought the game was in. Okay. Well, we got to well, wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, guys. It is football, and all three of us are fans. Uh, some of better teams than others, and I'm not talking about myself because that's not interesting. But uh, uh, yeah. I, I, I got attacked in the bar last night actually for being a Colts fan. <laughs> so hilarious. it was. She was like, "You're giving off passive aggressive energy. Are you a Colts fan?" And I've never been so offended. By someone being right, so that's why it's so. great being a Raiders fan because people don't insult me because they halfway expect for me to just stab them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, are they wrong? Yeah. No, no, yeah. true. Um, All so right, yeah, so let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap this, wrap so this one up. Yeah, uh, yeah, so uh, can't wait until we're the generation that's complaining about what everyone else is doing, but uh. This was the barely looking forward coherent. to that. Yeah, this was the barely <laughs> coherent podcast. Uh, if you haven't already, you should follow us on Instagram at uh, the barely coherent podcast. Me and Sunny B put a <laughs> lot of effort. Yeah, me and Sunny B put a lot of effort into um, the editing uh, photos. pictures that we post. Uh, some <laughs> of varying quality, but you know, we we try to have fun with it. Uh, if you message us, uh, we will be far better at messaging you back. Uh, we, we post the link to the Discord on there. Uh, please drop in the Discord and come say hi. And uh, I'm going to put a deadline on it. That, uh, yeah. this Before week, we start charging, at some point we'll start charging you to say hi to yeah. us. So get in now. <laughs> yeah, get, in, get in now. Get while in the now getting's entry good. level before yeah. we boomer this thing up and uh, start charging. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create the deadline now that this week by you know minimum this time next week uh we will be on tiktok so, okay i like talking about it for several episodes. manifesting yeah. your uh your uh your uh, your, your affirmations as, as my therapist has say. told me I, I procrastinate way too much and i just need to give myself hard deadlines for things so. that's weird my parents also tell me that so <laughs> i got it for free yeah, uh, well, so did I because you know the government gives me that universal because <laughs> I'm in the military. Yeah, Love so. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, glad to hang out with you guys as usual. Uh, always a fun session. Looking forward to next week when we record. So, we'll, we'll call. Him. <laughs> yes, no, I, he's I out. Think he just left, so <laughs> I think we're good. Okay. Yeah, we are. Uh, <laughs> Oh, there they are. Oh, it's so cute. All right. Thank you. Maybe next time we'll all three be in the same place. Yeah. Thank you and good night.